0: Well, thanks for, for praying together, um, you know, it's cool to see, you know, how um, people have got more comfortable with that and just gathering up and praying with one another uh, in the middle of that time. Because, you know, that's just such a beautiful thing when you come together as the body of Christ and you are equipped and empowered to pray for one another. It's just uh, absolutely beautiful. Um, this point we're going to start out in a new journey uh, and start out in the book of Acts. And uh, we wrapped up Hebrews, and uh, the last uh, couple months been in Hebrews, going chapter by chapter, and now we're going to hop into the book of Acts, and and really, um, I say hop into the book of Acts, we're going to kind of wade through the book of Acts. You know, if you've ever waded into Lake Michigan when it's a little cold, uh, kids always just run right in, which is like... Frankly, there's the beauty of a child of faith too. They just run in, and, you know, the, like, temperature doesn't, uh, the, doesn't affect them. But with adults, you kind of wade in, like, kind of, like, slowly, let your, your legs get used to it, or maybe just get numb to the, the cold, and then you wade in a little bit more. That's how we're going to go through the book of Acts. So, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 today, so if you want to flip over to Acts chapter 1. Um, but what might happen is, like, Acts chapter 2 is a big chapter on the Holy Spirit, and so we might spend a couple weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. And uh, looking at other places in scripture where it talks about the Holy Spirit We might, uh, Paul spent a lot of time in, uh, the, in, in Ephesus And had a pretty significant ministry in Ephesus So we might, you know, in Acts 17, hop over to Ephesians And look at what, what he said to the church in, in Ephesus So that's kind of how we're going to kind of wade through this in, Over the next couple of months or whatever, however long it takes us um, But I want to start in Acts chapter 1 and this is going to launch us into doing something uh, after the message all together again. And uh, I was thinking, I want to throw a number up uh, on the screen. And it's this number 2.5 billion. How many of you know what that number refers to? One. Dude, A for the day. Like, that's an A student right there. 2.5 billion people in the world who say that they are followers of Jesus. Now, a couple years ago, I looked this up and it was at 2.1. So what's pretty cool is to see that God's kingdom is growing. God's kingdom is advancing. 2.1 to 2.5. Now, I just did a a quick Google search, like how many Christians in the world, and it said 2.5. Now, I don't know how they determined that. I don't know what questions they asked to determine who is a follower of Jesus. But I want you to get that number in mind. 2.5 billion is a lot of people, right? There's 7 billion people in the world. So 2.5 billion. That's, that's a lot of people. I want to throw another number up on the screen 120. Anybody know what 120 refers to? Number of people in the upper room. Number of people in the upper room. What has always blown me away is when Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, what we see there is a group of 120 people in the upper room. And 120 became 2.5 billion today. Now, that doesn't include people who have died who were followers of Jesus. That doesn't include like uh, yeah, others who have gone before us. But 120 became 2.5 billion. And the thing that has always perplexed me, blown me away, is how did that happen? How did 120 become 2.5 billion? How did the minority who was huddled up in the upper room, how did that become a, pretty much a significant majority in the world? What happened to make 120 become 2.5 billion? Now, I would dare say, and I think you would agree with me, that it was a miraculous move of God, and it continues to be a miraculous move of God anytime a heart is transformed and changed from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And becoming a follower of Jesus. It's a miraculous move of God. However, I would also say that it happened because 120 people up in this upper room not only listened to what Jesus said, but actually became doers of the word. Actually did what he told them to do. The way that God has set it up is he moves in powerful ways, but he moves through his body. He moves through the church. He moves through his his people. And so 120 people who were devoted to Jesus... Who had left everything to follow Jesus They had seen the highs They had seen the masses come to hear Jesus They had seen people be healed of diseases They had seen tremendous things happen They also were at at a point of desperation When they saw Jesus die on the cross In those couple days They were like, what just happened? It was the highs and the lows But regardless, they were devoted Absolutely devoted To Jesus This 120 became 2.5 billion plus When I look at the book of Acts, when I see what happens in the book of Acts, the thing that jumps out to me and the reason I put that that, that word up on the screen, normal, is what we see in the book of Acts is something that we should actually see in our lives today. It should be normal for a follower of Jesus. We shouldn't read the book of Acts and be like, okay, that happened way back then. Those things can't happen today. No, I believe the same things that happen in the book of Acts can happen today all because of this reason. Hebrews 13 verse 8. We ended with this verse a couple weeks ago It says this Jesus Christ is the same yesterday Today and forever And do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus is the same yesterday Today and forever And that what happened in Acts where we see 3,000 people Come to faith in Jesus in one day and are baptized Do we believe that because Jesus did that Years ago that he can do that today? Absolutely Do we believe that a, a person who had been crippled For 40 years Can all of a sudden get up and walk Absolutely, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're going to go through the book of Acts, and I want to start in Acts chapter 1. And I want to focus on these 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven and before the Holy Spirit came. What were believers doing, what were followers of Jesus doing as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come? So turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 14 verses And they're going to be up on the screen too In the first book, O Theophilus Luke is the writer of the book of Acts And he wrote uh, the gospel of Luke Wrote it to Theophilus and, And here it again says In the first book, O Theophilus I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach Until the day when he was taken up, and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy, uh, promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That Jesus, the one who went into heaven, extended that, and sent to heaven, he will be coming back. And his brothers. So, as we look at Acts chapter 1, here I find it interesting that, that Jesus is, is sitting with his disciples and he's talking, and then they said, Jesus, says, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They had this in mind. They were like, Jesus, now's the time you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. And Jesus instead says, that's your vision, but here let me share with you my vision. My vision is for you. To go be my witnesses into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so after that, he gave this this vision. You're going to be my witness, which I've always found so freeing because a witness is just someone who is is talking about what they have seen and heard. If you witness an accident, if you witness you know some sort of event, all you have to do is share what you've seen and heard. And so he's telling the disciples these this 120. Here's what I want you to do Just go talk about and tell others What you have seen me do And what you've heard me say Just go share that And then he says start here in Jerusalem And it's going to go throughout the ends of the earth But then look at verse 4 He said "But wait Wait until you receive the promise Of the Father Because here is this huge vision That he gave them You're going to be my witnesses to the entire world But wait here until you receive the Holy Spirit Because this vision that I give you Is going to need the power of God to accomplish Don't go out and do this on your own Don't try to do this in your own strength Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit And so they do They wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit But then before the Holy Spirit came What do we find them doing? Look at verse 14 It says these with one accord Were devoting themselves to prayer here they were united, united to having one mind, one heart, one purpose, one passion, and that's all about Jesus and making disciples. Here they were united and were constantly in prayer. You get to the end of Acts chapter 1 and they ran into a situation where they needed a, to add another leader to the, the 12 apostles because Judas went and and, and turned on Jesus, betrayed Jesus, and actually in verse 18, it's pretty interesting, it shows how Judas died, and that's always a good Sunday school lesson, he's like, like fell over and his bowels like, exploded all out, and it's pretty gruesome, and I think kids would, would really like that and appreciate to read that story. But they said, okay, we need to add a number, another person to the twelve. And what did they do? How did they add that person? Do they debate between the two? Do they have like this this big back and forth? No, it says in verse 24, It says they prayed and said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two you have chosen. I love that their heart, as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, their heart was united. But they were constantly in prayer. Even when it came to decisions, they were constantly in prayer. All right, Lord, you know what we need. You show us. And this wasn't just seen in Acts chapter 1. Actually, throughout the book of Acts, the common thing, the normal thing that they did over and over and over again was first turn to prayer. They prayed about everything. I want to go through just a a quick little journey through the book of Acts and show you you how many times they prayed. Over 30 instances of prayer just in the book of Acts alone. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 up on the screen. It says that they gathered regularly to pray. Acts chapter three verse one. Peter and John are going to the tabernacle, going to the temple actually. The tabernacle uh, rotated the temple. They're going to the temple to pray. Acts chapter four. After Peter and, and James, uh, Peter and John, sorry, they get into a little situation in the temple because they see a guy who is healed miraculously, and they stand and proclaim Jesus. They get persecuted, and they are told not to talk about the name of Jesus anymore. And so they go back to their friends and to their family, and and in in Acts chapter 4, it says, what did they do when they came back? They all gathered together, and they prayed. Look at verse 24 of chapter 4. When they heard the report, they lifted their voices together to God, and they prayed. In Acts chapter 6, there was a situation where the widows, those who had lost their, their husbands, weren't being cared for. And so they decided We need some people to care for the widows And so they raised up people Who were full of the spirit And full of faith And it said when they had selected them They prayed over them In Acts chapter 6 verse 6 Fast forward to Acts chapter 7 One of these men Who was full of faith Full of the spirit Was being persecuted for his faith Stephen Was being stoned to death And shortly before he, he dies um, this is what happens in Acts chapter 7 It says in falling to his knees He cried out with a loud voice Lord do not hold this sin against them When he had said this He fell asleep There he was at the end of his life With those people who were pelting him with rocks And here he is crying out to God Praying for them Lord forgive them Acts chapter 8 Persecution is on the rise And followers of Jesus are scattered all over the place. And the gospel goes through Samaria. And people come to faith in Jesus. And it says in verse uh, 12, I believe, of Acts chapter 8, 14, sorry. The apostles heard about this. That Samaria had received the word of God. And they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10. Peter, we see again. Peter is, uh, uh, go ahead, put the next verse up, Ellie. Oh, I'm sorry, this is Acts chapter nine. I'll get to that in a second. Acts chapter nine, nope, there you go. (laughs) Acts chapter nine, there's a woman who's full of faith, full of charity, wonderful woman, who got sick. And Peter, it says in, in verse 40, Peter put them all outside the community that was there and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise, and she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Acts chapter 10, Peter's again at it. The next day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Peter, we're gonna continue his story a little bit. In chapter 12, he's thrown into prison, and in verse five, it says, the whole church, earnest prayer for him, was made by God, made to God by the church goes on and on and on. Acts 16, one of my favorite stories. Paul is is um, on one of his missionary journeys. And he is out, he's um, he, there's this woman who is a slave to these, these guys. They were using her. And he sets the, her free. And they get in trouble. They're thrown into prison. And it says in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas in the middle of the night were praying and singing hymns to God. Acts 20. Paul was in Ephesus, and he's ministering there for a long time through a a strong relationship with those in Ephesus. And towards the end, when he's about to leave, it says they knelt together and prayed in Acts 20, verse 36. Over and over and over again. What was normal in the book of Acts was they gathered together to pray. No matter the situation, they just stopped and they gathered together to pray. That was what was normal. And it wasn't just... Paul or Peter or just a select few. No, everybody in the church was praying. It wasn't limited just to a a few, but everyone participated in prayer. And amazing things happened as they prayed. In Acts chapter 4, as they prayed and they're asking God to fill them with boldness, all of a sudden there was an earthquake that shook. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaimed the word of God with great boldness. In Acts chapter 6, as they prayed over those who would care for the widow's, All of a sudden it says the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples grew greatly. Acts 9, as they're just praying for those who persecuted them, Acts 9 is the story of Paul. Paul, the hardest heart, the person who's furthest away from Jesus, comes to faith in Jesus. Acts chapter 12, when they're praying for Peter, Peter is miraculously released from prison. Kind of sleepwalks his way out of prison. Acts chapter sixteen again when Peter when Paul and, and and Silas are praying in the jail all of a sudden at midnight there's a great earthquake again and the doors swing wide and they don't leave because God uses that situation to to reach a man and his entire family and they became believers in Jesus. All throughout the book of Acts, we see people praying and we see people, God moving in miraculous ways. Now there are times in the book of Acts when things happen and they pray. And it doesn't seem to turn out like they had hoped. James in Acts chapter 12, he's in prison. And the church was probably praying for him. But he dies. But all throughout the book of Acts, what was normal for followers of Jesus was to pray. And I just look at our lives, look at my life. And I just have to wrestle with this question. Is that my normal response? Is my normal response just to pray? It is my normal response, my first action to pray like we see in the book of Acts. And then I I think, like, often I'm like, okay, that's not my normal reaction. That's not my first response. And then I think about the opportunity that we have as far as Jesus. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, you have a father, a good father in heaven, who knows how to give good gifts to those who ask. Who will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Who wants to pour out lavishly on his kids?" I just think, why isn't I our first response just to fall down on our knees and pray? Or Luke 18, where Jesus teaches this parable, parable about this persistent widow who went to this king over and over and over again and asked and asked and asked, and it said that he taught them this parable so that they would persist in prayer. Why isn't, when we see all throughout the scripture, pray continually, pour out your heart in prayer to God, Why don't we pray more? I was really wrestling with that this week as as I was thinking about that question. Why don't we pray more? What's the reason that we don't? Is it because of unbelief? Do we believe that prayer actually accomplishes things? I'm like, yeah, I think we do. Is it because we're distracted by so many things? Yeah, that could be it. There's a lot that's thrown our way. Is it that we don't know how to pray? I think we do know how to talk to to God and, and pour out our hearts in this relational way. Is it that we don't have have time or, no, there's plenty of time to do with the things that we want to do. What is it that keeps us from praying? And what I came to conclude this week, at least in my own heart, is I look in the book of Acts. There was a desperation for God. Times were desperate. There was 120, and they were up, secluded in that upper room, and and they had no other option but to pray. They're like, God, we need you to work powerfully. We need you to work in this situation in that situation. And I wonder, in my heart, am I desperate for God to show up? Now, there have been times in my life where I've been desperate for God to show up to the point where I just fall on my knees and pray. And it's when you're praying for those who are sick or going through a hard situation. But I just think, like, shouldn't that be our attitude constantly? Shouldn't we live with the desperation in our heart and in our soul? I think too often we can get kind of lulled to sleep and just kind of go through our life and just a coast and be like, "Yeah, things are all right" or whatever. But I have just been awakened in my soul this past week that we are living in desperate times. There are people who don't know Jesus who need to come to faith in Jesus. There are, are are things that are happening in our world where it's like just just sickness is, is breaking out, and I'm like, God, you need to transform the situation. I want to see like revival break out in, in, in America. And I think the challenge for us on a daily basis as followers of Jesus is to live with this radical desperation for God. I think one of the things that we can so quickly fall into is just becoming good at doing life. I look at all of you. You're gifted people, skilled people. There's a, there's a lot that we can do in our own natural ability. There's a lot that we can just be like, yeah, I'll just do this or that or that. And these are gifts that God has given each one of us. But I think too often we can just go through a life and be like, yeah, I'm just doing this and this and this and not desperately pouring out our hearts before God and say, God, I want to see more than what I can accomplish. I want to see you moving in powerful ways. And as a church, as a church community, as Restoration Church, this is where I want us to be. Just desperate for the Lord. I don't want to do things that we just can do in our own strength. I want us to look back and say, like, wow, only God could pull that off. Only God could do this. To live with that desperation. Because in Acts chapter 1, here was a group of people, Galileans, people who were looked down upon by the rest of the, the Jewish population. They were looked down upon as being uneducated, unschooled, ordinary people. And what was their, they doing in Acts chapter 1? They weren't plotting their strategies and doing this or that. They were pouring out their heart to God. Saying, God, we need you to show up. Will you show us the leader that you would have for us? Would you show us this situation or that situation? All throughout Acts, this was their heart. We as a a church community, we've been in Compassionate Heart for the last couple months. And this has been a great facility. Uh, They have a heart for us to find a more permanent home. This can't be our permanent home They're like, yeah, we want you to find that We've been talking with uh, The bridge in downtown Zealand And Jed was here a couple weeks ago And he was talking about all that God's doing Down at the bridge And they've invited us into that space But again, a more temporary space Not necessarily a long-term solution I think of a situation like that And frankly, I don't know Where God wants us to be Some people are like, well, Dave, what do you think? Well, I have an idea I have thoughts, you know, I see good about the compassionate heart, I see good about uh, the bridge, but I don't want my ideas, I want God's ideas. One thing that I do feel in my gut is that we're not supposed to have just this building that we're on our own uh, occupying, but to partner with somebody, to come alongside uh, another kingdom partner and work together, and that's where I bring that to you today, is I we want to be praying for that. Again, I don't want just our own ideas. I want to take our our model after what we see in Acts and what followers of Jesus have done for a long time and say, God, where do you want us? I think of uh, you guys here in the front seat and uh, worship in the woods. Worship in the woods is going through a time of transition with Austin and Tate going out to Zambia. And they made it to Zambia and and they've raised up a bunch of leaders uh, to, to fill in. But there's opposition to the work that God is doing through worship in the woods. I hear it constantly. And I want us to be people who are praying for that group, They're saying, God, God, pour out your spirit. Continue to fill them with boldness to speak your word. Continue to pour out signs and wonders. Continue to pray for revival in this area. And so this is what I want to do. I'm going to ask Pam to come up and we're going to sing a little bit. But what I want you to do is pray over, uh, for the next little bit as we worship, pray over a couple different things. Pray for direction for us as Restoration Church, where to go, where to be, Pray for worship in the woods. Pray, frankly, for revival in West Michigan. Pray for hearts to be stirred to, to love Jesus. Pray for signs and wonders to be poured out where people can go like, oh, only God can do that. Only God can do that. Because at the end of the day, that's what we want. For people to say, that's, that has to be God. Because our desire isn't for our own glory. It's for his glory. His name and his fame is a desire of our heart. And so let's stand together. I want us to pray. I'm going to play uh, a song. And I want us to just pray over these things that were shared. Pray over the location. Pray over uh, worship in the woods. Pray for revival in this area. Let's pour out our hearts.